Acts chapter 2. It's so befitting that we read this right now. We just sang those words. Let's read this together. Acts 2 tells us when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord and in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Spirit gave them stability. Now at this time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. And here's why they were there. Because three times a year, God commanded all Jewish men to come back to Jerusalem for, the, for different festivals. In particular, this is the festival of Pentecost. So here we come, men and women from all over the world, back in Jerusalem for this commanded festival. And the Bible tells us when they heard the sound, they came running to the house because they heard the fire. They heard the rushing wind. They heard the different languages. And here's what the Bible tells us was happening in that moment. Verse 11, they said this, we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. I don't know what your native tongue is, but can you take 23 seconds in our go year and just speak out loud all the wonderful things that God has done for you. All the wonderful things God has done for your family. Come on, somebody open up your mouth and testify today. My God is great. My God is awesome. My God has healed me. My God has helped me. My God has delivered me. When I gave up, God wouldn't quit on me. Come on, just a few more seconds. Somebody open up your mouth and declare the wonderful things that God has done. Let all God's people declare it today. Amen. If you know he's good, put your hands together. Amen. You can return to your seats today. Ooh. My God. <laughs> Does anyone else in this room serve a great God? Am I... Am I uh, it's just me. I said, do you serve a great God, a present God, a powerful God? Amen. I, I, won't, I won't do this, but I just want you to know, I grew up in a time period in church when we were making transitions between like, you know, songs and preaching. We'd have what was called the testimony part of service. Anyone ever remember those days, the, the testimony portion of service where, where somebody would stand up and begin to testify about, about how good God is and they'd give thanks to the, the, the deacons and the elders and the bishops and the pastors and, and the praise and worship leaders. And then they'd just go on their little spiel about, about how God was just so good to them. I'm not asking you to do that today, but if you've got something on the inside that God is worthy of, you just say, God, you've been good and I can't help but praise you. Can you just throw up your hand real quick and just testify right where you are? I'm a living testimony of the good of God. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. All right. The reason I say that is because language is such a, a, a powerful thing. Communication is such a, a necessary thing. Come on, anybody, if you have a, a, a spouse or if you have a, a child or you have uh, employees or an employer, how many would agree with me that communication is extremely powerful and almost necessary for things just to work? Are there any mind readers in the house? Absolutely not. So we have to learn to communicate. The Bible tells us on the day that the Holy Spirit came that he empowered the disciples to communicate. He, he literally released their tongues to speak in languages they did not even know. 
They, they were able to communicate with people of different backgrounds and different tongues by, by just the power of the Spirit of God. I'm a Pentecostal boy, so we love Acts chapter 2. We, we love speaking in tongues and praying in tongues and singing in tongues. And If it's got tongues, hey, you know, that's us because we're Pentecostals. We love the gift of tongues, but I want you to remember the whole idea behind the gift of tongues was not so I could look spiritual. It's so that I could proclaim Jesus as his witness to the nations. This is what the, the gift of the Spirit of God coming on us is all about, to empower me to minister Jesus everywhere I go. But I couldn't help but think in, in, this, in this series that we have called Sound Doctrine, I couldn't help but think of, of the idea of, of, of language and how we communicate. And is anyone else like me that you, you, you try to understand the, uh, well, let's say like communication changes, language changes over time. Anyone else kind of like me in the sense where you're, you're still trying to figure out what this generation is communicating sometimes? Okay. So it's not just me. Okay. I, I, I find myself sometimes barely able to understand conversations that this generation is having. Tiana, give me that first image. Like, like okay, we're, 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 we're trying to be hip. Parents are, and we're trying to use acronyms, right? And mom texts the son, when are you coming home? Hello, WTF? Mom, do you know what that means? Yeah, are you coming home Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday? Come on, somebody. That's not what WTF means. Nope, Okay. This was, this was a text exchange between my family the other day. Uh, Tiana, give me this next one. This is our text exchange. This is me. I said, Bible time. We missed it at 930. Uh, and so uh, Ella says, bet, BBG. I'm like, what's BBG? She's like, baby. Zion says, baby girl. Ella says, girl. And then, of course, I'm like, who is BBG then? Mama's like, Olga's like, let's do it. I was like, you? And Zion's like, she's calling daddy baby. And I'm like, she's going to be grounded. That communicated okay. Yeah. And Zion's like, oh, yeah. I was like, Who does she think she's talking to? Baby girl about to meet big daddy. Hell, that was about Communication. It's like, I'm just trying to understand how this language is, how it changes and, and, and how it's communicated. And we've gotten to the point now, even in, in modern times, where we, we like to communicate with so much slang that we even put the Bible in slang. Genesis 1-1 in slang. I saw this app the other day. They put it in slang. It said, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Our first John 4:19. we love because God loved us first. Language, something, something about, about this. It, and here's what I've learned, Mama. Never have we had more means of communication and never has it seemed harder to communicate. This idea of, of language. I do want to re refer back to Acts 2 in this message, but what I'd like to do is I'd like you to consider that maybe we're, we're still dealing with the curse of a place called Babel. Maybe the reason communication is so difficult, Ms. Vitti, is, is, is not because we don't know how to, but because we're still dealing with the, with the curse that caused us to scatter and separate and not be able to communicate. If you will, just for a few moments, just humor me. Genesis chapter 11. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you how, biblically, Genesis 11 and, and Acts 2 are really just, it's like the, the question and the answer. Look at me in Genesis 11. Genesis says this, at one time, all the people of the world had one language. Everyone say one language and one speech. Okay, so they all spoke the same language at one point in time. 
Verse 4 ultimately tells us, here's what they said to each other. Come, let's build a great city for ourselves with a tower whose top reaches into the heavens. This will make us famous, or the King James says, we will make a name for ourselves and keep us from, look at, look at this, being scattered all over the world. So they thought if we build a tower, we'll be able to basically be like gods. We'll send it to the heavens. If we, if we build this tower, we'll make a great name for ourselves. We'll be famous. And, and if we build this tower, if we work together, it'll keep us from being scattered. Okay? Verse 5. But the Lord. Someone say, but the Lord. But the Lord came down to look at the city and the tower the people were building. Look, he said, the people are one. And they all have one language. And this is what they begin to do. And, and, and if this is what they begin to do, then nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us, there's God the Father talking to God the Son and God the Spirit, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. In that way, the Lord scattered them all over the world and they stopped building the city. This is why the city is called Babel. Because that is where the Lord confused the people with different languages. In this way, he scattered them all over the world. Okay? What does any of this have to do with Acts chapter 2? Come with me. Strap in. You know, put your seatbelt on. Let's go on a little roller coaster ride together, okay? I'm going to say some things that will make you happy. I'm going to say some things that are going to make you mad. I'm going to be a pastor today. I'm not a politician. I, I, I am not a motivational speaker. I am a minister of God's eternal truth. That is my calling. That is my job. That is my role. To, you want me to be a pastor. Can I get an amen? Well, let's see what happens here. Let me talk first about this idea of the Tower of Babel. Let's talk about this for a moment. Because today we are still building towers that ascend into the heavenlies, right? Um, give them that first image there, Tiana. The, the tallest building in the world right now is the Burj Khalifa. It's located in Dubai. Look at this mammoth of a structure. It stands at a, actually the top of it reaches the peak of 2,723 feet. And building this building, it was, it was opened in 2010, it was, cost $1.5 billion to build. It is currently the tallest man-made structure in the world. Now, there are plans, obviously, always, always plans to build something bigger, to always make a name for ourselves. In 1992, I want to show you something. From 1992, there was a proposed, what they call a hyper-building that was, um, um, here's what they actually call it. They call it the Tokyo Tower of Babel. Tiana, give me that image. This is what it's meant to look like. The tallest building currently in the world, the Burj Khalifa, is right here. 1992, they proposed building this thing that will take 150 years to complete. It will stand 6.2 miles in the air. So at its top point, it'll be negative 57 degrees. It literally, 
it, 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 it's the same level that I guess like airliners fly, domestic flights, 33,000 feet in the air. And it will take an estimated $25 trillion to ultimately build. Supposed to house 30 million people. So even if they started tomorrow, none of us are ever going to see it. Come on, somebody. Right? 150 years to complete this mammoth structure. Huh. What is it about our need to make a name for ourselves, to, to be seen, uh, to be known, for, for, to in some form or fashion, to make sure that we, we leave our mark in such a way that we're compatible or dare I say, comparable to the name above all names. Uh-oh. It's getting really quiet. It's the weather, Pastor. It's just raining outside. But on the inside, I'm full of sunshine. Well, then let it out. Okay. So when I read this story of the Tower of Babylon, I realize that maybe, just maybe, the curse has not ended. Maybe, just maybe, we're still trying to do the, the very same things that, that they tried to do in Genesis 11. Now, Here's how I want to pull it. The story of, of, of Babel in Genesis 11, what it does is it, it's, the, right, it's the successor to its predecessor. Genesis 9 is the story of Noah and the flood. We know it as Noah's flood. And what we see in the story of Noah is that God flooded the entire earth because of the rebellion and the violence and, dare I say, the pride of man. Yeah. Now, here's what I do want you to know, that God knows better than anyone that the greatest threat to human beings is human beings. Yeah. He knows that we are our, our own biggest problem. So he brings the flood. So he brings the, the confusion of language. He brings these things because he knows that we are going to hurt ourselves. We're the greatest threat to ourselves. Now, full disclosure, when I would read Genesis 11 as a child, the story of the Tower of Babel, I, honestly, I hated this story. Thank you, Ms. Autumn. Part of the reason I hated this story is because I've always felt like it made God look so petty and like it made God look so spiteful until I got a little bit older and I dug a little bit deeper because I would say, God, what is the problem with Babel anyway? They're, they're not acting the way they did before the flood. We're not hearing of violence and murder, and, 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 and we're, we're, what we're hearing instead of is they're actually working together. God, are you opposed to human wisdom and technological advancements? And God, are you, are, aren't you glad that they're actually unified? Aren't you glad that they're one? They're, 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 they're together? God, don't you desire unity? And I need you to know the problem with the Tower of Babel is not human wisdom, and it's not human ingenuity, and it's not even human unity. The problem with the Tower of Babel is still the same problem we have today. It's called human arrogance, human pride, human egotistical self-centered selfishness. Ladies and gentlemen, I know we all thought COVID was a, a deadly disease, but the most deadly disease to human beings is pride. To this day, pride is that state of your heart where you have become self-reliant and self-inflated and you are ignoring the almighty God. 
Pride really, what it does is it blinds you to your own faults. It, it blinds you to your own weaknesses. And what it does is it begins to eat away at you emotionally and, and mentally and relationally and financially and most definitely spiritually. And here's what I know about pride. It has distor- destroyed more friendships, more families, more marriages, more businesses, more churches. Pride has destroyed, destroyed more callings than anything else in human history. What is Babel really showing us? It's showing us the displayed power of united pride. Tell you why is Pastor talking about pride today? Today of all days. Why would God tell him to talk about this? United pride. Everyone's celebrating it. Everyone's for it. Everyone agrees with it. Everyone's behind it. We're all working together for the same cause. And then God comes and ruins it all. Woo! Somebody felt in their spirit. I just want to prophesy right now to the things that are ruining family members of yours anyway. I speak the name of Jesus to the prideful things that are destroying their lives. And we release today. God, go ahead and get in there and mess it all up. Mess it all up before it destroys them completely. I told you I was going to say things you weren't going to be mad at me about. Babel shows us the power of unified pride. Okay, so what's the problem then? They're working together. What's the problem? Think about it. Okay? The last command that God gives to Noah after the flood is this in Genesis 9. He says, be fruitful and multiply, check it out, and fill the earth. So God's plan is that we feel, we multiply, we feel the whole earth, not just one section of it, in one city of it, in one idea, and, and one cause, and in one group. That is not what God said. He said, fill the whole earth. And so here is God's plan, but by the time we get to Genesis 11, just two chapters later, we see that man has now devised their own plans, and they are rebelling against the command of God. So the same exact elements of sin that were present before the flood are now present at the Tower of Babel. Human pride and human rebellion. And God is like, all right, since you want to do your own thing and you don't want to obey me and you don't want to fill the whole earth, then I'm going to scare you because my word will never return to me void. And when I say fill the earth, I expect you to do what I command you to do. I need somebody to take a moment and stop being like Jonah and stop demanding you have it your own way and just surrender and say, God, your will be done because either way, God always gets what he wants. Let me show you three, three, three things quickly from verse 4. Can, Tiana, or can you real quick give me just verse 4 of Genesis 11 real quick? I want to show you three things that just jump out at me. Now, I, yes. Then they said, let's build a great city for ourselves with a tower whose top reaches into the heavens. Here's the first thing I want to show you. Pride will alter our worship. I don't mean alter. I mean Change. Pride will alter our worship. They said, let's build a tower whose top reaches into the heavens. Tana, show them that, that image of what historians believe the Tower of Babel possibly looked like. It was a ziggurat, right? Or the, this idea of a, of, a, of, a, 
of a uh, a tower being constructed into the into the heavenlies, and this is probably the the, the first uh, ziggurat that was ever built in Hebrew. The word Babel translates as confusion, but in the ancient Arcadian, the the word Babel actually translates as a gateway to God. Pride will alter your worship. Whew. This, this, this tower right here was, was constructed to astrology, not to the most high. This tower right here was, as, as all Zagras were, were constructed as, as a place of occultic worship, not worship to Yahweh. If we believe anything about these towers, we believe that the worshipers themselves saw it as a gateway where heaven and earth were now connected, where they, where they would meet. Ladies and gentlemen, this is why your worship of God is so powerful, because your worship becomes the gateway where heaven meets earth. I don't, I don't need a, a man-made structure. I've got the gift called worship that gets me right into the presence of the Almighty. But if, if the ziggurats were built as a form of astrology and, and, and an occultic practice and occultic worship, then I, can I encourage Christians, stop reading your zodiac signs. Stop reading your horoscopes. Stop worshiping signs in the stars. And stop looking to creation. And instead, look up to your creator. Because he still identifies as a high tower. David said in Psalms 144, verse 2, He is my loving God and my fortress. He is my Babel, my strong tower, my high tower, my deliverer, my shield in whom I take refuge. Somebody just take five seconds right now and put your hands together and let every high thing in your life know nothing is greater, nothing is stronger, nothing is higher than my God. But pride will alter your worship. And that's why this team will stand here and pour themselves out and you'll stand there with your arms folded. Because pride, it's not that you're uncomfortable. It's not that that isn't what you do. Pride will alter your worship. Ooh, ladies and gentlemen, it would help your whole week if you just took those 30 seconds that are up here and instead of focusing on the things you have to do or the problems you're going through, just focus. Look up. Stop thinking about creation and look up to the creator and watch what begins to happen. How worse will alter your perception. Amen. Pride. I'm, I'm hurting everyone's feelings. I love you. That's why I'm doing it. Pride will alter my worship. Go back to verse 4 again there, Tiana. Verse 4. They say after they're going to build this, this tower into the heavens, and they say this. This will make us famous. We'll make a name for ourselves. So the second thing that pride does is pride will affect our worldview. We're going to make a name for ourselves. I've got a quick question to everyone in the room. Do you know anybody who loves to take all the credit for something someone else did. Please don't elbow the person next to you. Is there, have you ever met anybody like that? Don't you say like that, right? Maybe, maybe you know somebody. They might be really close to you right now. You know somebody. They love to take all the credits for something someone else. Should I just stick around here for just a moment? Come on, husbands and wives. Should I just camp here for just a moment? No, no, move on, Pastor. Okay, okay, move on. Pride will make me believe 
it's more important that I get the praise. It begins to alter or affect my entire worldview. Consider, every dictator who tries to make a name for himself, every ruler or king that wanted to expand his empire and make a name for himself. I didn't really talk about this much, but if you read Genesis 10, you'll see a man by the name of Nimrod. Pretty cool name. Nimrod is the great-grandson of Noah. The Bible tells that, that Nimrod was actually a, a powerful hunter, a mighty man. People, his was a name of renown. In fact, the Bible goes on to indicate that he was probably the, world, the first world leader, and he was probably the man who started the idea and laid the foundation for Babel. He wanted to be a world ruler. He wanted to make a name for himself. People followed him. But I need you to know, every world ruler that has ever tried to make a name for themselves always ended up defeated. From Nimrod to Nebuchadnezzar, from Hitler to Stalin, from an Alexander the Great to Julius Caesar, to one day when a, when a man steps into power known as the Antichrist, he will try to make a name for himself, but everyone who tries to make a name for themselves will always end up defeated. God has literally promised judgment and destruction to everyone with the same prideful attitude. Maybe you're not trying to conquer the world, but what is your, what is your pride encouraging you to do? Who's, whose neck are you stepping on? Because pride has told you. What, what racist thinking has made you think you're superior? Because our dust, our dust, it's just slightly different shades of brown. This actually isn't white, y'all, just so you know. It's just a really light brown. Come on, somebody. From the dust I came to the dust I will return. And you want to sit around and celebrate dust all day long? I just came to remind you, pride will be part of your destruction. This is why the Bible teaches us in Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction. A haughty spirit before the fall. I want to encourage you, stop putting pride in your dust. And start putting pride in the blood of Jesus that has saved all mankind from their sins. Your racist heart won't let you say amen right now. Because pride will affect your worldview. Amen. Give it to him one more time, Gianna, verse 4, one more time. They said, build this tower. Because it affects our worship. Build this tower so we can be named, maybe name for ourselves because it affects our worldview. Then they say it like this. We'll build this tower. Check this out. To keep us from being scattered all over the world. Here's the last thing I want to tell you about pride. Pride will only produce the very things we're trying to avoid. If we build this tower, it will keep us from being scattered. I'm going to get in all sorts of trouble here, Rev Dev. Pride can only produce the things I've been trying so hard to avoid. They build the tower. And then verse 7 shows up. In verse 7, we are given a, a, a first row seat, front row seat 
something that is greater than their pride. It's called the power of God. The power of God shows up. And when God's power shows up, it is always greater than man's pride. Can I get an amen from somebody's pride who one day met God's power? So if pride is only going to produce the very thing I'm trying to avoid, then what is the answer for my arrogance? James teaches us in James 4, verse 6. He said, God resists the proud. Oh, here it is. Here's the answer to your arrogance. But he gives grace to the humble. Verse 10, therefore, humble yourselves before the Lord. Check this out, somebody. Instead of building a tower, humble yourself before God, and he will lift you up. Somebody put a praise on the truth of this scripture right here. Am I doing okay? Have I made any enemies? Don't say amen. Catch me outside. It's raining outside. Later we might play soccer outside. We'll see. And, and if you try to act up out there while we're playing soccer outside, I, I got, a little, got a little something for you. If you plan to act a fool outside, I'm going to pull one of these bad boys out on you. Come on, somebody. I wish I could do this to your pride right now. Come on, somebody. Time to go. I wish I could do this to your bad attitude right now. It's, Until next time, I talk about this today of all days, not because of what's happening in our, today or this month in America, but because pride rose up in the heart of the most beautiful of all creation known as Lucifer. And if pride would cause Lucifer to fall, what is it going to do to us? He enthroned the presence of God. Literally, he was the, the, the atmosphere changer of heaven. The Bible speaks of how like instruments came from his body. He was a built-in praise and worship team, if you will. And he saw his beauty. And he saw how, as he began to lead the worship, how it would move all of creation. Pride rose up in his heart. And he said, I want what only God deserves. Dare I say, every time pride rises up in your heart, Okay, I should just stop. But maybe, just maybe, pride makes me think I deserve something only God deserves. <sighs> Keep going, Pastor. You're making me mad. Okay. I look at the story of Babel, and I realize that Babel shows me this. It shows me man full of himself. Full of himself. Yep, right? Come on, somebody, let's just, can we just be candid for just a moment? Let's just be real. As human beings, we want things our way. That's why you go to Burger King and they tell you, have it your way, and you're like, you're dang straight. At BK, come on, have it your way. Come on, you're just like, hey, man, somebody, yes, Lord. That's my theme right there. We want it our own way. We want to take matters into our own hands. Babel shows us man full of himself. It's man saying, I want what I want 
when I want it. I want to eat what I want to eat. I want to, I want to act how I want to act. I want to love who I want to love. It is man full of himself. And if we left things at Genesis 11, we're in trouble. But somebody better take a moment and thank God that Genesis 11 is not the end of the story. Because I started this whole service by reading you a different chapter from a different testament, a different covenant. In Acts chapter 2, if Babel is man full of himself, then Pentecost is man full of God. I need you to help me right now. Can you shake somebody next to you and tell about three people? You are full of it. You are full of it. You are full of the love of God. You are full of his power. You are full of his presence. You are full of his promises. You are full of his word. You are full of God himself. If Babel is myself, full of myself, Pentecost is that moment when I become full of the presence of God. Holy Spirit, show up the way you did in the book of Acts. When I become full of God, I will no longer build towers in my heart. Don't act like we all don't do that. We all build towers. We build those towers of greed. That's why you won't give. We build those towers of selfishness. That's why you won't serve. And if you do, you show up late and with a bad attitude. Come on, somebody. The, 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 whole, the whole reason that, that the Bible is, is trying to help us understand that we don't need to build towers is because if we're not careful, we will keep trying to make a name for ourselves. But I believe somebody is about to topple some towers in your hearts today. Somebody in this generation, because I can sense it in my spirit, there's a last generation that is rising up that is less interested in making a name for themselves and more concerned with making making the name of God great everywhere that they go. Somebody help me right now, according to Psalms 115, 1. Not unto us, Lord, not unto us, but to you be the glory forever and ever. If that's your desire, put your hands together and let yourself know unto God be the glory. Amen. I promise I'm almost done. Somebody wanted to say good. Emmanuel at Babel, we all spoke the same language. We were unified by communication. Everything that I said, you understood. We were unified by our speech. And anytime you have a unity of speech, you can have a unity of purpose. Oh, I don't know if you've ever read the five love languages. Married people just might be something to consider. The five love languages. Once you, once you learn what the other person's love language is, now you don't have to speak it, but you can't stand before God and say, I didn't know. <laughs> Communication. Dylan, my guy, what, what's your love language? Physical touch. That's why, that's why when he hugs you, you're just like, oh, Lord. <laughs> Miss Autumn, what's your love language? Yes, ma'am. We all know that. Physical touch. Tommy, was Tommy in the room? Tommy in the room? There you go. His wife better. Words of affirmation. So you really can't communicate love when you're just hugging on him. 
You've got to tell him how amazing he is, how strong he is. Ooh, that beard reminds me of the night. I'm thinking of like, you know, Song of Solomon, right? I probably shouldn't do that right now, but, but Tommy, you're just, so, you're just so amazing. Words of affirmation. Dylan, what's Courtney's love language? Oh, right now. What was it yesterday? Okay. <laughs> right now, gifts giving, words of affirmation. Okay. So that means it's changed a little bit. That's okay. That's okay. As long as Dylan is still communicating love. Ooh, I know where your paycheck's going, my guy. Hallelujah. What is my point in all this? If we have a unity of language, we can have a unity of purpose. I don't understand how this always works, but somehow, in some way, evil purposes always seem to unite evil people. Right? Think of history. Hitler and the Nazis. Evil people and evil purposes unite. El Chapo and the whole Sinaloa cartel. Evil people, evil purposes unite. Hulu and the Kardashians. I just made him really mad, mama. They didn't mind anything I said till right then. How dare he? Blasphemy! Ah. What is it about evil purposes that always seem to unite evil people? So maybe it was more than just the language. Maybe it's the purpose that matters. Maybe God has a different kind of unity in mind for us. Ooh, think about it like this. I don't even know when the Tower of Babel happened, but I do know thousands of years later after Babel, God sent the word, made it flesh, and it dwelt among us. Maybe he's called the word because he healed my communication with God. Maybe he's called the word because I didn't have a voice before God. But once I got filled with the spirit of God, I now have a voice for God, to God. I can come boldly before the throne of grace. Maybe he's called the word because he unleashed his power to reverse the curse of Babel. Can I tell you what Pentecost really is? Pentecost is the reversal of Babel. That's all it really is. It's taking where man was separated. Now they are brought together. Babel is that place where God confused their language. But Pentecost is the place where God gives the gift of tongues to communicate in languages I don't even understand. Babel is that place of judgment where mankind unified in their rebellion and unified against God. But Pentecost is that place where God brings a promise of unity to all people of all colors and all backgrounds and all nations and all languages. Babel is the place where man wanted to make a name for themselves. But Pentecost is the place where we glorify the only name that brings salvation to mankind. His name, somebody shot it with me, is Jesus. The people of Babel believed we are God. Pentecost was a place where we got to say, we are gods. 
I belong to. Not I am. I belong to. I am God's special possession. What Pentecost is trying to tell you today, family, is that God is not far away. So stop building towers. He's not distant. The God up there is now the God in here. That's what Pentecost tells me. Can you just take a moment, throw your hands up with me right now, and thank God that Pentecost became that moment where the, every curse of Babel was reversed. Can you lift your hands and thank me right now? God, thank you for your purpose, the purpose of Pentecost. Somebody declare with me, Pentecost reversed the curse. It reversed the curse. Pentecost turned my confusion into clarity. Pentecost turned my desperation into expectation. Pentecost turned me from defiant to obedient. Pentecost is that moment where I turned from my pride and instead I turned to God's power. Pentecost is that place of transformation for all of us today. And dare I say right now, Pentecost is still heaven's answer to racism. Pentecost is still heaven's answer to Pentecost is still heaven's answer to segregation and division and separation. It was that day that God placed a stamp of approval on the church. Now everybody gets to hear these words. All are welcome into the family of God. When Peter was preaching, he said it like this in Acts 2.39. He said the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are afar off. Babel scattered but Pentecost gathered can you help me just for 30 more seconds praise the God who made a way for us to be united all people all languages all backgrounds can you stand to your feet with me and let the devil know we're no longer going to build towers instead we're going to lift our hands to the God of heaven we're going to surrender our hearts we're going to become what he's desired not just unified in language, unified in purpose. We're going to be one body, one vessel, many members, absolutely. You still need your ears and your hands, your feet. Some of you could do without it, but you still need your tongue. Still got to speak. I can't do without it, but it's still one body. Many members, one body. And I feel like heaven has wanted to remind us today that the Spirit of God is here. And with the Spirit of the Lord is there's freedom. Just for a few more seconds with our hands raised right now. Holy Spirit, we need you to reverse the curse of rebellion. I sense it in this room here today. Those of you who have been playing church I know it breaks you at times and you wish you wouldn't treat God this way, but there's a rebellion still in your heart. And the Bible actually tells us this, whether you realize it or not, you're, you're practicing witchcraft. Rebellion, disobedience. When you rebel against God, when you disobey the command of God, you're actually practicing witchcraft. Ooh, let's not do that. Let's not, to obey is better. This is 1 Samuel 15. To obey is better than any sacrifice. But your rebellion, your disobedience, it's like you're practicing witchcraft. You don't need a Ouija board. <laughs> you, don't need the, the, uh, you don't need to draw any stars on your floor and set up a bunch of candles and sit in the dark and chant. You don't have to do those things. Just your rebellion alone against the word of God 
It's like you're practicing witchcraft. Let's not do that. Let's obey. Let's be the people that are full of God's spirit. And I feel the spirit of God here is ready to reverse those curses. He's ready to reverse the effects of the sin in your life. Oh, I feel the spirit of God ready to reverse the power of Satan in your life. You've been dealing with demonic activity, but the power of God is here to liberate you. Nothing's going to crawl on your chest tonight and try to rob your breath. You won't be afraid of the dark. You won't be afraid of what's to come because the spirit of God is going to let you know, I've got you. I am your high tower. I am your fortress. I am your deliverer. Don't be afraid. Just trust. More than anything, I feel like the Spirit of God is here right now to set us free from the really what is the curse of Babel. It's the selfishness and pride of our hearts. With our hands raised right now. Whew. Father, I believe in this room there is a commanded blessing coming for everyone in this, in this place. But God, we got to be honest with ourselves. My greatest threat is me. My greatest problem is not my spouse, it's not my job, it's not the government, it's not the economy. My greatest problem is looking back at me in the mirror. My own greed, my own selfishness, my own pride. Whew. Yes, God, I can, I, I can see those of you surrendering right now, and I can see those of you resisting right now. I'm speaking to that pride today, and I'm commanding the curse of Babel to break off of your life. Pride is what's making you think you know better than God. Pride is making you go against the word of God. And I feel the love of God here today saying, I can't come to you because I resist the proud, but I give grace to the humble. So will you help me in this room right now? Those of you who've been dealing with any form of pride, let this be the moment where you humble yourself before the Lord. I would challenge you to bow your knees to God right now and just say, Lord, I need your grace. So I bow myself before who you are. I don't exalt myself. I bow myself. I kneel who I am. I, I put down my desire. I decrease so that Jesus might increase. I'm not erecting a tower. I'm allowing myself to go low, to be humble, so that, God, you can give me the grace I need because that grace is what's going to lift me up out of the broken place. That grace is what's going to be able to exalt me from my empty place. It's the grace of God. Hold up, hold up. I don't want to try to compete with the music. I'm competing with that spirit. I feel it here. I bind you resisting lying devil. You prideful spirit. I bind you in the name of Jesus. Hold up. You had your way with Lucifer. I pray that you will not have your way with my family in this room. Somebody who's got a little bit of the Spirit of God inside you, help me rebuke the power of pride right now. You need to humble yourself. Because if you won't humble yourself, you don't want option number two. God will humble you. I never pray for God to humble me. I never pray that. I never pray God humble me. I do what the Bible says and I humble myself. Because if God humbles me, I don't know if I'm getting back up. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt. That's what he wants to do. He doesn't want to humble you. He wants to exalt you.
but you have to humble yourself. I command this pride that is literally oozing out of this generation to no longer touch the people of God. May we be protected from the destructive power of pride. May we be humble. May we make a name for Jesus everywhere we go. Ladies and gentlemen, whether you realize this or not, if you won't bow your knee today, one day you will. Genesis 11, one day you will bow your knee. Because what I see in Acts chapter 2 and Genesis 11, it's a foreshadowing to Philippians chapter 2. Brad, you were right to clap right there, sir. You were right to clap right there. Because if you won't humble yourself, one day you will. If you refuse to bow your knee today, one day you will bow your knee. Philippians chapter 2 verse 9 says this, God has exalted Jesus to the highest place and has given him a name that is above every name. Check this out. Just in case you were too prideful to bow your knee today, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and even those demonic powers under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Somebody help me make this declaration today. There's only one name that is going to be exalted in my life. It's not the name of Jamin. It's not the name of Impact. It's not my business. It's not my last name. The name of Jesus will be exalted in my life, through my life, from my life. Somebody shout his name with me today. Jesus. Jesus. The name above all names. Jesus. Jesus. As I close this service, I feel like I just need to do this, so I'm going to do it. Michael, I heard someone rightly say one time, every believer has Jesus. Jesus doesn't have every believer. Sure, you called on his name. He saved you. He's doing what he does. He's a savior. But he doesn't have you if you built those towers of pride in your life. And he's wanting to bring those things low. Y'all remember that movement a few years ago, the Me Too movement? Y'all remember it? Me Too? Y'all remember? Can I, can I just tell you that the two most powerful words that we can ever tell somebody when we're praying for them, when we're ministering to them, when we're trying to help them, the two most powerful words are not, you should. Help me. We love to do this as parents. You should know better. You should clean your room. You should listen because I'm the one who takes care of you. You should. If I was, if I was speaking in the King James tongue, Kristen, I'd be like, thou shalt. Those feel like powerful words. But the two most powerful words I can ever use when I'm ministering to somebody is not you should. It's me too. Me too. Me too. Oh, you cried yourself to sleep recently? Me too. Oh, oh. You have doubts when you read your Bible? Someone's catching it. Me too. Oh, oh, you prayed and nothing happened? Me too. Oh, you, you, you tithed for three weeks and you didn't see the windows of heaven open up over your life to pour out such a blessing you didn't have room to contain it all? Me, me too. Oh, you yelled at your kids on the way to church this morning? 
Oh, somebody cut you off in track thinking you wanted to. Me too. Oh, you ate a whole a gallon of chocolate, vanilla, strawberry, delicious ice cream last night after midnight? Oh, you made promises to God that you still haven't kept? Oh, you told God you'd never do that again, but then you stumbled and fell? Come on, somebody help me. Somebody help me. Oh, you were commanded to do something and you didn't follow through? Maybe, just maybe, we're all in this together. And maybe, just maybe, Impact Church can be a me too kind of church. Come on. Because I know that Jesus didn't leave his throne of glory and come here to earth just to tell me how I should live. He showed up and he shared in my shame. He shared in my suffering. He shared in my sorrow, but without sin. The only thing I've experienced that Jesus never experienced is sin. He chose to live holy and separated unto God. That's why he was born of a virgin because he couldn't be born into sin. He had to have the bloodline of his father. Chose never to sin, live the holy life so that when you and I stand before him and God says, why should I let you in to heaven? I can look at Jesus and he'll look at me and he'll say, Father, I died for their sin. I shed my blood for their mistakes. I became unrighteous so they could be righteous. And God says, well, Jesus belongs here. And then you get to say to God, me too. Me too. Me too. Help me for just a moment with your eyes closed. Lord Jesus, I thank you that where we were tempted, you were tempted. You can say me too. Where we suffered, you suffered. You can say me too. Ooh, where you considered quitting, because he said, Father, take this cup from me. Ah, I've quit on God many times. But then Jesus said, nope, not my will. Your will be done. Family, I just want to remind you right now, and I've got a reason to celebrate today. Where I failed, he succeeded. Where I fell, he stood tall. Ah, where I messed up, he came and cleaned it up. Come on, somebody, can you help me one more time? Just thank him that where I sinned, he shed his blood. So, Pastor Olga, Romans chapter 8 tells me this. If we share in his sufferings, we will also share in his glory. It's not easy to humble myself sometimes. It's not easy. Just I'm 42 years old and I got a pimple right on my nose. You know how many people wouldn't come to church if they had this thing on the nose and I'm standing in front of cameras and lights, sweating it out so you can see. Look at that thing on pastor's nose. Someone pray against acne, the spirit of acne in my life. Come on, somebody. I bind the devil. 
pride would tell me, don't get up there and preach. They're all going to see your Rudolph nose. Somebody, hello? I'm not saying Jesus ever suffered with acne. But he did suffer with sorrow. He did suffer with being rejected. He did suffer with those that he came for completely turning their backs on him. His closest friends betraying him and leaving him. So if I share in his suffering, I will share in his glory. As we close this service today, I don't know who this is for, but as we close this today, I feel like somebody is moving beyond Genesis 11. You built these towers and they've come to nothing. You try to make a name for yourself and it's produced nothing. But you feel today, I want, I need to be full of God. I've been full of myself. I need to be full of God. If that's you, would you just join me at this altar quickly?